Broadcasting live from the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Armstrong and Getty. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. From Studio C. Oh, si senor! You know what? We're in a dimly lit room, deep within the bowels of the Armstrong and Getty Communications compound. Surrounded by razor wire and people who take your temperature before you're allowed in. <laughs> and today we're under the tutelage of our... dogs. You guys see the boat construction going on? Yeah, and before anybody's allowed into our compound, we ask you, have you traveled in this last couple of weeks? Do you have any of the symptoms? Etc. etc. Today we're under the tutelage of our general manager, Angelo Negri. Okay, who's that? Oh, well, who's that? It's Joe Biden's buddy, the Amtrak conductor, when he was vice president. He almost got shot by the senior service. The secret service, you haven't heard this? I don't know this. Oh, Angelo Negri, what a great guy. We'll tell you all about it. Okay, fantastic. Can't wait. That oh, is oh awesome. boy. Somebody watch after Grandpa. Pow, pow. Somebody keep an eye on Granddad Joe. Well, it's another Grandpa moment. Oh, okay. boy. So the the numbers just came out, and we're below 500,000 jobless claims for the first time since the pandemic began. 500,000, as you always point out, 500,000 new claims, which is absolutely amazing. It's still near the record high pre-pandemic. If it weren't for what we were coming out of, like if this just hit out of nowhere... In a normal year, what we have today, instead of it being good news, it would be, holy crap, the world is falling apart. Right. It would be sure. that bad. It would be, yeah, it would be it'd shocking. Be, it'd be the only story in America all day long in the cable news channels. Um, and But so a half a million more people applied for unemployment help this week. I want more smart economists to explain to me how there's a help wanted sign everywhere. I mean, everywhere... As far as I can tell, coast to coast, every business in America seems to be looking for help. How millions that, how and millions of unfilled jobs are open right now. Oh, millions upon millions, yes. And people, businesses that can't function because they can't get anybody to work there. One of our charming emailers today sent us this picture from their local Wendy's. 2020, no TP. 2021, no employees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was actually on their marquee outside, where it usually says Frosties, 99 cents, or whatever you get it. I've had four different fast food places now, which means I eat fast food too much. Uh, Four different fast food places that hand me a card with the food that says, now hiring $18 an hour, now hiring $17.50 an hour, whatever. They, They need people so bad. It's just amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not difficult to figure out. No, it's not. If you make more money not working than working, you're going to not work. I would do the same thing. There's some sort of program for talk show hosts who don't do a show that we could make as much or a little more than we're making right now to to point me toward the website. I'm applying. There you go. Um, After all, I am a man who craves leisure. Representative Liz Cheney of Wyoming has an op-ed piece in the USA Today today blasting the Trump side of the Republican Party as she heads out the door with everybody reporting now that she's going to lose in her vote next week and be uh, removed from the leadership of the Republican Party in the House, and then uh, it'll be all 
Trump supporters at the yeah, time. I, under- I understand a couple of things. Number one, she referred to uh, the Trump cult, which is uh, slightly hurtful. And uh, <laughs> secondly, she's not uh, polling well in her district at all. Even at home, huh? Yeah, yeah. That's what that's what one of her emailers said. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. I have no idea. I don't think she would. I don't. I don't think it would have any effect on what she says, though. No, no. I I was just saying. You know, you can't be in house leadership unless you're in the house. So she might be gone as of 2022 anyway. Uh huh. But I don't know. I don't. I don't dive that deep into. Uh, now let's take a look at District Four of Wisconsin's blah blah. blah. I don't just, either. That's not what we do around I, here. I don't either. Except for I think it's pretty interesting that now among the top three people in the Republican Party, there were there were the, it was the Big Tent. We got room for people that uh, you know think Trump did something bad on the day, and people who don't. Now it's no, no, nobody, nobody who thinks Trump did something bad on January sixth gets to be in the leadership. Which is interesting because we're further away from the Trump presidency, the events of January 6th, just everything. You'd think it would be less of a question, not more. I uh, was listening to a reporter from Axios who said if you were going to measure it, the Republican Party in the House is more Trumpy today than it was January 6th. Which is interesting. These are odd times. Yeah, that's where we are. So, for, you know, how it's going to play out, like we talked about yesterday, there's so many moving parts. I haven't got the slightest idea. What's going to happen? Neither does anybody else. Just a quick philosophical observation, if I might. Uh, it is revealing, I think, that we're chatting about this and a funny old granddad moment from Joe Biden and the rest of it and not talking about the hundreds of thousands of our countrymen who are dying from the Chinese bat fever. I was just reading about uh, India. And a pretty reliable source said, you might be able to multiply the official government numbers of deaths by a hundred. By a hundred. And not be off. Wow. The vast majority of people in the the countryside, the rural areas, they never make it onto the government's map because they can't get into a doctor. They can't get into a hospital. They just die and their family cremates them by the many, many thousands. So the fact that we're not really dealing with that in the U.S., hallelujah. So I heard um, one of my favorite pundits said he had come across some information that people who had been vaccinated are getting this new strain in India and getting sick and dying. Have you seen that anywhere? No, I haven't. That's I haven't a terrifying either. thought. I hope it's wrong. I hope it's wrong also, because that would be freaking horrifying yeah. if that turns out that the newest strain does beat the vaccine, because all the tests thus far, the vaccines had beat the various uh, strains. But, I mean, obviously a strain will come along. It'll mutate to the point that at some point. Yeah, that the body doesn't recognize it, can't build antibodies yeah. fast enough, etc. And starting over with a new thing. Yeah, I hope not. I mean, otherwise, I mean, they're cranking these things out pretty fast, the uh, messenger RNA vaccines that some people are concerned about. Uh, but they can't crank them out that fast. I mean, am I going to be showing up, what, every week, every day Yeah, uh, for a new jabbing? Um, It's time to introduce everybody in the squad. It's because it's teamwork that makes the dream work. That's how we're going to dominate at the Tokyo Summer Olympics, knowing that. That's why we introduce everybody in the squad. There's our technical director, Michelangelo, pressing buttons, flipping toggles, pulling levers. Hi, this morning, Michael. I'm doing good. I'm also seeing tons of help wanted signs. If I didn't have to sleep, Jack, I think I'd be tempted to grab one of these jobs. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's exactly. frustrating to me because they're available, yet I can't get them because I got to sleep. I feel like they're so shorthanded at my Burger King, I could be a manager in a couple of months. I think I could excel at that. Work I mean, I have a up. great interest in burgers. I can flip things pretty readily. I don't... Sean seems skeptical that I could make manager. I don't know. How... Management material? <laughs> you got to prove yourself first, right, Sean? Well, well, let's see how you do on the fryer first. Welcome yeah. to Good Burger, home of the Good Burger. May I take your order, please? I'm pretty good at that. 
Yeah, it was pretty smooth. There's Positive Sean, whose smile lights up the room. How are you, Sean? Doing quite well as a, uh, a long-time unknowing practitioner of the Nordic way. Right, uh, you know, just lowering expectations, yes. accepting the, the the beauty of the simple life. <laughs> this is this is a tea appreciation opening thought. Uh, you know, just little green tea, little T E A T E A. Okay, little green tea, little little honey, just a little bit of honey for sweetener. Because I know Joe, you know this. I'm sweet enough already. Oh, amen. And uh, <laughs> and oh man, just a little. I just I love that so much in the morning. Sean loves his tea the way, the way the uh, way coffee lovers love their coffee. That's good for your throat too. I was just I can't remember. I was just here. A singer was talking about that. Actually, you know what? I just remembered it was Rob Halford from Judas Priest who is still singing those songs. Uh, and he, the big believer in the tea and ginger, a little drop of honey for the throat. I got to start doing that. Team tea. Um, I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty on this. Is Oh, I, I, remind me, mentioned in the Summer Olympics, I saw Caitlyn Jenner on uh, Hannity last night, watched about half of it, and she brought up uh, being in the Olympics and how she, I didn't realize she'd finished second or third in 72 and then came back in 76 and won and something about how she got the best team around her and that's what she's going to do in Sacramento as governor and stuff. Nice. I didn't know she was going to tie the whole Olympic thing in, but. Of course. Um, it's uh, Thursday, May the 6th. Maybe you're hungover from Cinco de Mayo. Uh, I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Jew Getty, and uh, we approve of this program. Did you just call me Jew Getty? Is that some sort of anti-Semitism rearing its ugly head? I think I did. I'm Presbyterian anyway. All right, let's begin the show officially now, according to FCC rules and regulations. Here we go at Mark. Do you consider what you see here a crisis? It is a crisis. It is. I mean, you see for yourself how easy it is for these smugglers to raft these migrants across. Uh, they have no fear of law enforcement um, because they dump them off. They'll go back to Mexico and bring another group. So that was more people were pouring across the border? Is that what that story yeah, is? Yeah, uh, NBC report at the border with, uh, uh, it was a single camera, so maybe double digits of perhaps just kind of floating across, and then the border patrol, wow. yeah, this happens all the time. Wow. 25,000 unaccompanied children are now in uh, possession of the U.S. government. 25,000. Remember when we were saying 4,000 and this is a crisis and a big deal and we need to pay attention? It's now 25,000 and the media has kind of moved on for whatever reason that we all get bored with stories and just move on to the next one. And hundreds more every day coming across. Henry Cuellar, who's a Democrat congressman from Texas, is going crazy trying to get attention. The Biden administration just put out uh, some pictures of empty processing centers. Uh, that they've cleared them out, they're fine. And oh, really? Cuellar is saying, wait a minute, they just moved them from one tent to another. The tent next door is jammed with humanity. What are you trying to pull? And that's a Democrat. Hmm. But he's representing the people of Texas who are just drowning in, in folks pouring across the border so we'll talk about that more later lots of stuff how's mailbag looking to you oh very nice very nice the ongoing uh, peeing in the pool discussion is ah, unfortunately why ongoing yeah I get it's it. a quest for scientific uh, certainty or something. all right and we do need to get to that motorcycle airbag vest that will stop working if you miss a payment this could be the future <laughs> of all safety items Wow. You miss a payment, they don't work anymore. (laughs) I got to subscribe to my seatbelt. Our text line is 415 295 KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. (laughs) 
My shoes match my shirt today, and I feel like a bit of a dandy. Mm. I'm not really my thing, but I'm wearing Reebok shoes and a Reebok t-shirt. And it's it's bright orange, so and you I, can't miss it. And I feel like a dandy, but... <laughs> but uh, Vince, Vince, our old producer, was big on that, man. His shoes always matched his whatever he was wearing. He had uh, ongoing. I had Very another buddy like that, too. I had, I had like 50 pairs of gymnasium shoes, as you call them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll get a little too matchy-matchy sometimes, and it looks like I'm wearing grown-up Garanimals. You remember Garanimals? <laughs> yeah. Well, until somebody pointed out to me, I never, ever cared that I had a Nike jacket and... Puma shoes. Oh. I just didn't care, but I realized that for some people, oh, that's just, recoiling. I realized for some people, it's just like painful to see that. <laughs> oh, you uh, didn't. You did. You went out like that. Oh my god. I tell you, who was a bit of a dandy, old Angelo Negri, Joe Biden's old buddy, the I, conductor on Amtrak. We'll tell you that story in a couple wait of minutes. To hear that? Yeah. <laughs> oh man, mailbag. Here's your freedom-loving quote of the day, once again from the second president of the United States of America, John Adams. Posterity. One-termer, him and Jimmy Carter. Hey, it's pretty important, though. Uh, read John Adams by what's-his-face. David McCullough. Thank you. Posterity. You will never know how much it costs the present generation to preserve your freedom. I hope you will make a good use of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we won't. We'll give it away. Oh, and a you gr- fat old fool. And in a weird way, great op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. I'll read from later about how we're uh, we're turning into Europe. It's just it's just happening, whether you like it or not. Mm, Unproductive not. Europe. Moving along to the correspondence proper, Eric writes, Jack, Joe, I'm eternally frustrated when people. Mistakenly claim that Episode Four: A New Hope, was part of the title of Star Wars at its original re- release in 1977. It was not. The film was retitled in a re-release to theaters in 1981 to build excitement about a new Star Wars series that would be coming in the future. George Lucas was a brilliant marketer. Uh, Eric, thank you for the clarification. The fact that you are eternally frustrated by this suggests you need better things to be frustrated about. <laughs> or you should be thankful that that's what you have to be frustrated about. I, like, currently in my life, have a number of things I'm frustrated about that have pushed out all of my minor things. Mm. So you're lucky if you could be frustrated about things like that. Uh, Indeed. My simple defense about the 1977 release was I wasn't born yet. Mm. Yeah, well, I wasn't born in 1776, but I know John uh, Adams was the president of the United States. A number of years later, I'm hearing excuses, Sean. Here's a note from Eric. Um. Yeah, he doesn't ask for anonymity, so I guess I didn't blow anything. Uh, first off, in regards to the story about the microwave brain scrambling oh, from yesterday, boy. that's yeah. what I call a microaggression. Microwaves, mm. you get it? I know. Well, at least he's got a sense of humor. About <clears throat> anyway, I'm a member of the mer- uh, the military currently. The extremism training you mentioned yesterday is already in full swing. In fact, within last month, we had a unit-wide extremism stand-down day. Basically, we watched a bunch of videos about how ignoring the warning signs of extremism extremism in others could lead to another tragedy. All the examples were obvious radical lunatics who would be foolish to publicly share the opinions they held. Those training videos are hilarious. I was kind of hoping they were better for the military than they are in the private sector where it's just a lawyer thing. The messages imparted to us were vague. So vague that you're left thinking you'd better not share anything publicly that's the least bit controversial. Gotcha. 
I recall the Proud Boys being painted in a very negative light. I'm not a member, so whatevs. The big takeaway was that we should all scrub our social media presences and never post anything the least bit controversial or become affiliated in any way with questionable groups. Uh, He says, we're great. I say, you're great, Eric. Thanks, Mm. brother. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Justin writes, did I hear you right? The secret to happiness is day drinking alone in your underwear? (laughs) Challenge accepted. That's what the Swedes claim, or the Finns. (laughs) The Finns. Somebody or other. Uh, Let's see. Uh, You're in denial, writes Eric. Oh, boy. He is not beastie free. Dear kind, gentle sirs. Uh, thank you for your generous reading of my previous letter regarding urea, chlorination in swimming pools, and irritation of the conjunctiva, among other exposed bodily surfaces. I would also like to thank the physician's assistant who on May 5th, on, I'm sorry, on 5 May, offered a, <laughs> I gotta read this, I've gotta read this verbatim, cause it's so dang funny. May. <laughs> offered a contradiction to my thesis. To it, he asserts that human urine is usually sterile. With apologies to our friend and healthcare profession, processional, <laughs> I say non to his Wee oui, wee, oui. and then he sent along a link to a a very recent uh, article from a medical journal. Indeed, once thought to be sterile, the bladder and urine contain microbes that could influence the development and treatment of cancer. There are tiny little bugs that generally don't do any harm, but they're there. Let me say I am proud that we have listeners that write like that, dude. So we got a new Joe Biden story coming up next. Oh, you don't miss it. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The Buffalo Bills general manager says he'd consider cutting unvaccinated players if COVID-19 restrictions were lifted and in-person meetings were allowed. Interesting, because uh, huh. we have long thought that uh, that's how you're going to get certain crowd vaccinated, is you just kind of have to for work. Like, both my brothers, I think, more or less got vaccinated. They didn't want it, but they more or less got vaccinated because it just made their job easier. Mm. Mm. Have they died yet? Of the vaccine? Yeah, of the vaccine. You know, the reason I bring that up, why don't we go ahead just for a second or a minute now. Give me a little bit of clip off. Uh, 40, Sean, Tucker Carlson, last night. Every flu season, for example, we give influenza shots to more than 160 million Americans. Every year, a relatively small number of people seem to die after getting those shots. To be precise, in 2019, that number was 203 people. The year before that, 2018, it was 119 people. In 2017, it was a total of just 85 people who died after getting the flu shot. Now, every death is tragic, obviously, but a big picture, we do not consider those numbers to be disqualifying. We All right, keep let's, giving uh, that's fine. Shots and- that's fine. And, and then he, he goes on and he uses the exact same verbiage talking about uh, COVID shots. And he keeps saying died after getting it, died after getting it. And not as a result of getting it or demonstrably from it. And a couple of minutes later, he like went ahead and uh, admitted there was a difference. But then he went back to saying died after getting the shot. And Tucker's an extremely bright fella. Now, I wasn't uh, listening closely enough. I had that on in the background last night while I was doing something else. Um, the way I took it, and maybe I just missed that part, was uh, he was using the 
same statistics from the same organization, and they counted it the same way. And this was his result, which I thought was amazing. According to Tucker and the and the organization that keeps track of this sort of stuff, more people have died from all the other vaccines in the United States in the last, or more people have died in the last four months after getting the COVID vaccine than. All the other vaccines we give in the United States added together over the last 15 years. Which is an extraordinary stat, if true. Yeah, but I can't go that far with a guy who's not making the distinction between after and because of. And the fact that he recognized there's a difference later in the discussion, he knows there's a difference. So why does he keep using the wrong word? That's just weird. I don't know. I'll have to, I'd have to go back and look into the organization he is quoting. I should have written it down. And well, see and how, how strong they... is the tie between the vaccine right. and the death? He doesn't even touch that. See how they count it. Do they just count any death within a year of getting the vaccine as of the vaccine or? Is Something it because I don't know. there was a historically unprecedented effort to get 80-year-olds vaccinated Dude, that's in a way I we normally that's, don't? I mean, I just yeah. it felt very squishy to me. It's an extraordinary number. I mean, so extraordinary that you feel like you got to look into it and figure out why it's, it's so extraordinary. And be careful the way you word stuff and not be just that squishy. That bothered me. I'll go, and I love Tucker. Look. I'll give that another look because I find that interesting. I'm not worried. I got the vaccine and I'm not worried about it. Although, like I said the other day, I wouldn't be shocked to find out 10 years from now that we find out the vaccine gives you a little of this or a little of that. It causes more of that. I mean, yeah, it's not impossible. Me. Sure. Right. Right. Uh, speaking of squishy, old man Biden telling a heartfelt story last week about an Amtrak conductor congratulating him for riding more than a million and a half miles. When I became vice president, one of the Capitol Hill newspapers estimated I'd taken more than 7,000 round trips on Amtrak over my career. I think that's an exaggeration. I'm going to rely on those two conductors. One of them was a, na- a guy named Angelo Negri. It's a shame he didn't have a colorful nickname like Corn Pop or something like that. Mm-hmm. Just uh, Angelo Negri. He said at the event Friday, marking Amtrak's 50th anniversary. There was an article, I guess my fourth or fifth year as vice president, saying Biden travels 1.3 million miles on Air Force One. He actually means Air Force Two, but I used to. The Secret Service didn't like it, but I used to like to take the train home. My mom was sick, and I used to try to come home almost every weekend as vice president to see her. I got on the train, and Angelo Negri came up, and he said, goes, Joe, baby, and he grabbed my cheek like he always did. I thought he was going to get shot by the Secret Service. I'm serious. I said, no, 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 he's a friend. He said, Joey, what's the big deal? 1.3 million on Air Force Two? Do you know how many miles you traveled on Amtrak? I said, no, Angie, I don't know. He gave me the calculation. He said, you traveled 1.5 million miles on Amtrak. The fact is, I'd probably take Angie's word before I'd take the word of what that article said. Now, that's a good old charming Joe Biden story. Homespun Joe. The only problem is that Joe Biden entered the fourth year of his vice presidency around 2013, and Negri's obituary states that he retired from Amtrak in 1993, 20 years previous, when Biden was still a senator. Meanwhile, Biden's mother, God rest her soul, died several years previous to this time period, too. Additionally, Biden's office celebrating him hitting a million miles on Air Force One uh, two years later, et cetera, et cetera. It, it seems as though he's just a end of the bar teller of tall tales, mm-hmm. and he doesn't care, or he can't remember any of the facts. So he just 
<laughs> so he just makes them up. He remembers there was an Italian guy, Angelo Negri, that's right. He remembers his mom was sick. He remembers there was a bunch of miles, and he just mashes them all together. Well, in this particular one, where I guess like the Corn Pop one, too. It's not really that important. It's just weird. The corn Pop was a bad dude. It's kind yeah, of weird that, part that I you do that, but I don't know that it's important. Yeah, it's just it's just funny, and and, and it relates to his education and him being number one in his class, and he just he just will say anything. And I said, "Hey, Esther." For instance, that, and uh, then uh, Fox News actually goes on to mention that he uh, there is a uh, gaffe he made, confusing the name of a couple of Middle Eastern leaders, and blah blah blah. Uh, it's harmless. It's not like he enacted a policy based on the mistake of the name, but they do mention the White House quietly changed the transcript of the event to make him say the right word in the official tran- the right name, I should say, in the official transcript. I don't know how common that is. The fascination with Amtrak that he has, and uh, now his um, uh, Secretary of Transportation, Poot, Boot Edge Edge, they they say. Edge um, Edge. Is all for that crowd that lives in that little tiny corner of America. The rest of America never rides Amtrak. What percentage of people have never ridden, ridden Amtrak in their lives would be very high. And then the percentage that have ridden it, you know, more than a couple of times, like on a lark. I gotta believe it's well over half. Right. Right. I know tons of people from all the people in the Midwest that I know and grew up with have never ridden Amtrak and never going to. It just would never be. So this fascination with getting more Amtrak and giving it more money and trying to figure it out, just, okay, that's you New York back and forth to D.C. people. That's pretty much it. Nobody else really is doing it. Maybe stop flying over flyover country. There are tens of millions of people living there. They're quite happy, and they don't ride Amtrak. Anyway, I just find that funny. Um, huh. We'll have to look into that whole uh, vaccine thing. Uh, nail that down. I'll finally, yeah. I'll finally pay this off after having teased it 800 times yesterday. This motorcycle airbag vest will stop working if you miss a payment. First of all, as a regular motorcycle rider, I ride a KTM Super Duke 1290. Look it up. It's amazing. Um, uh, I'd never even heard of this airbag, but you can get an airbag... You, you wear it as a vest, and apparently the theory is if you get chucked off your bike or something like that, it will inflate. It'll inflate immediately. You'll, you'll bounce down the road like Wiley Coyote, protected Sound, by an Acme product. Sounds like something I would have invented for, like, my 10-year-old science project. Yeah, yeah exactly. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, I, You know, I suppose you'd it's, rather have it than not, but there'd be a number of things that would have to occur in just the right way for it to keep you from breaking your neck. My actual 10-year-old science project, I believe, was I broke off the end of a fork, put it on the end of a power drill. It was my spaghetti fork. That's good. Nice. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. i got to tell useful. my son that. My son worked <laughs> for about an hour on his science project, his fifth-grade science project yesterday. It's due tomorrow. It was assigned two months ago. Oh, boy. <laughs> Apple, tree. Distance, distance from falling from the tree, very, yes, very short. Precisely. That's amazing. Um, Not I, long branches. <laughs> no, no. And watching him do what I did so many times of scrambling to get it all together you know, in the last couple of days is just... And, I, you know, I don't know. If, if there's a way I could interrupt that 
for his life and make his life easier, I would, but I haven't found a way to interrupt it for my life. Mm, a I, vaccine or something? <laughs> I still, yeah, exactly. I, or, or just, you know, knowledge, it, 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 parenting or anything that would make him not put off these big things to the last minute so that it's just so much more work. I've been doing it my whole life. I'm old at this point where I've just given up. I mean, it's just clearly the way I am. It's called acceptance. <laughs> acceptance. You know, I got other things I'm pretty good at. This not so much. Right. Um, uh, and I just think, well, it's just probably going to be your thing, and managing it is going to be your deal. But yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the motorcycle wreck. So his fifth grade experiment. Oh, that's right. This story's not that good. So this yeah. fifth grade experiment is um, uh, watching mold grow on four different things. Yes. Bread, hot dog, a piece of celery or something that mold mm. wouldn't grow on. And then what was it? An apple, uh, but banana slice. Oh, yes. And, uh, and so we're reading the things last night and then posting the pictures you took throughout as you were observing from beginning to end. I was supposed to take pictures? Oh, so, boy. you know, what are you, you going to do at that point? <laughs> I said, well, yeah, it says there are any instructions, which I assume you read at the beginning at some point. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because the, the written part, I have I was the master of, like, backfilling the written part, <laughs> having not done it all along. <laughs> you know, imagining in my head, week one, starting to see a little fuzz on the apple slice, yeah, nothing sure. on the banana. You know, Please. week two, I mean, you know, come on. <laughs> Day 22, morale is low. <laughs> Piece of moldy cake. Please. <laughs> So that, exactly, and so you're up late filling in what what would have taken you one minute if you'd have done it every week for the last three months, but now you're spending hours trying to make it up. Does he have to give a presentation in front of the whole class? I don't think, well, maybe he does. I'm not sure about that. I know he's got to have a certain kind of cardboard where you put up the, the, the pictures and the diagram and all the information. Oh, and everything wow. Like that. I can see the two folds in the cardboard now as yeah, it stands exactly. up. Yeah, exactly. It's yep. going to stand oh, yeah. right there. And <laughs> Well, he got his uh, he got a, a perfect on his big uh, report on Iowa that took so many months, and he did it at the last minute. So, yeah. the, uh, Apple also falling not far from the tree on that one too, because I got pretty good grades on those projects. I had to stay up all night long. It was incredibly stressful. It's probably why I got no hair. But Wait, I, I, got good gra- I got good grades on them. But it's it's a different skill set. There are those who methodically build in our society, and I value their contributions one hundred percent. There are also those of us who are just really good under pressure. And, and you know, the poo is flying or there's an hour left or whatever. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've done this a hundred times. No worries. <laughs> it's a skill set. That is true. That is true. When I'm around people who didn't do that and they have to throw something together, yeah. it's like just it's, it's a tragedy. I'm like, oh, this is what I do. Please. Throwing stuff together at the last minute? Come on. Oh, come follow me. I got this. We're fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is my wheelhouse. Stop shaking. I've never felt more relaxed. <laughs> Um, uh, there is an interesting angle to the motorcycle airbag that they say could affect car safety in the future, so I should pay off that part of it at least. Wall Street Journal taking several looks in their op-ed page about how we're uh, screaming full speed ahead toward France. Wall Street Journal's really trying to slow that down, get some people's attention, but I don't know if enough people look at the Wall Street Journal. Anyway, all that on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
A 1,692-foot-long pedestrian suspension bridge recently opened in Portugal and takes at least four minutes to cross, not to mention three pairs of underwear. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at the picture. This uh, 1,700-foot bridge, pedestrian bridge, strung over a really uh, high <laughs> gorge. Woo! Yeah, there was video of that on Special Report with Brett Bear the other day. It looks just thrilling and gorgeous, but yeah. I don't know if I could work up the uh, the sand. Here's the mental trap that I have with those sort of things. I want to see somebody walk across it first, but as soon as I see that, I was like, okay, that's one less person on whatever the threshold of number of people that can cross this before it collapses. <laughs> it's, it's already worn. It's yeah. already degrading. Yeah. It's one person closer to whenever that is, so now I can't do it. Yeah. Wow. I should have been the first. I was a coward. Now I'm just too late shot. now. Yeah. <laughs> um, two opinion pieces in the Wall Street Journal. Maybe I'll read from a little bit of both of them at some point. Got this guy, Daniel Henninger, writing, Democrats are killing the American dream. Joe Biden's American Families Plan replaces individual striving with middle-class entitlements, which is completely 100% true, but he gets into the why that's bad. And then this one, which I'll read a little bit from here, from uh, Christopher DeMuth. America's welfare state is on borrowed time. Biden has fully embraced the mad goal of giving 98% of the population lavish benefits at no cost. Has anyone noticed that the president has proposed increasing federal spending by nearly $1 trillion a year while promising that 98% of Americans will pay nothing for it? The very idea would have seemed mad to every previous generation of Americans. Today, it is considered conventional. President Biden's plans have been rightly criticized for the incontinence of the spending and the perversity of the taxes. Much of the spending is designed to exploit the pandemic crisis by transforming emergency income support into permanent middle-class entitlements for toddler care, higher education, medical services, and much else. Other spending is called infrastructure, but includes a list of progressive wants having nothing to do with capital investment. The tax increases, supposedly confined to the 2% with household incomes of $400,000 or more, but heavily weighted against capital investment, would seriously damage the economy and raise radically less revenue than claimed. But set aside these problems and take the Biden plan as advertised as a tremendous expansion of government paid for by a select few taxpayers plus lots of new borrowing. This is the apotheosis of a political transformation that began in the 1970s as has triumphed with barely a quiver of recognition, much less debate. It may be called the borrowed benefits syndrome. And he talks about how this started in the 60s and was argued over greatly and then argued a little less in the 70s and and in the 80s argued some. And now we're to the point where just there's no argument anymore. There's just like no pushback. Yeah, there's. I heard uh, somebody saying the other day, oh, it was uh, the, the lunkhead Gavin Newsom that uh, the United States would soon follow California's bold lead. And I'm reminded of that hearing plans that enormous being proposed or enacted, and almost no pushback from the media, uh, because the media and the government is is one party. They they cooperate. They're all to the left, and uh, it's just it's just there's nobody to say wait what 
What yeah. about this? Oh, and the other part that reminds me of California is the idea of everybody being hooked on the government uh, drug of, of money and an extremely narrow tax base. So they can never vote. There are never enough taxpayers, true taxpayers, to vote against government programs. Let me read you another paragraph. I hope you like this. The best explanation for this change over the years is populist rather than academic. In other words, it's like more emotional than somebody f- putting the numbers to it. The shift in federal expenditures toward mass consumption. In 1970, about 36% of federal spending, net of interest payments, was benefits to individuals. Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, which were new programs at that time, unemployment compensation, welfare benefits, all that stuff made up 36% of federal spending. Um, It is now about 76% of spending. Wow. Headed toward 80% real soon. Wow. Most of the spending has been placed on autopilot and is exempt from occasional spending reduction initiatives and government closures. (laughs) Nobody talks about this. You'd think you'd put those numbers up on a board and could say, look, this is a massive change in the way we've structured society. Are we for it or against it? Let's argue the benefits and the, uh, and the, and the, and the problems with it. Right. You would think the great thinkers, whether populists or intellectuals who use big fancy words, would be debating this and everybody would be paying attention to it. I mean, cause it's an, it's, it's, it's messing with our DNA. Sure. It's a different thing. It's a completely different society that has that much of, uh, you know, money going out the door, redistribution of wealth. It's a completely different thing than we used to do. And didn't we used to think the country was uh, pretty strong and good and all that? And I almost said, and in, in they're messing with our DNA without really knowing what the result would be. But no, that's not right. We do know what the result will be. This has been studied thoroughly. The result is misery. Yeah, other people have tried it, and it has not worked. Yeah, but we could do it better. We have better technocrats who can manage the economy. It's stunning that we're living through this time, and it's just not even really discussed. Armstrong and Getty.